0: You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident fanalist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore um, dot Where to begin? Where to begin? Happy day to you, sir and ma'am, and creature in between, dog that's sitting there staring. What the heck is going on? Um, I do want to start with some news. I also want to reiterate something for those of you that might be a little bit confused, and um, I'm going to have to change this sooner than later, which will make me sad, but i um, Just so you know, I am a full 24 hours behind. Um, The reason is I'm releasing the episodes early because I can. It's such a nice luxury to not have to hurry and get down here as early as is humanly possible. And I can schedule the episodes earlier so that they come out. It's 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 just nice. And if there are any mistakes with the audio, which happens sometimes, or I forget to hit publish or any of that kind of stuff, Not a big deal because this is tomorrow's episode anyways. But the problem is if there is any news, even though it's not going to be big news, it's going to be a day late. So you're going to be like, yeah, we know, dude, it's, it's, you know, whatever. Or you hear me talk about, hey, Christian Watson isn't signed yet. And you're like, they literally signed him yesterday. What are you talking about? Or today or whatever. Whatever. Again, once training camp starts, it's going to, I can't be, you know, a day behind, but just so you know, that's where it's at. But um, yes, Christian Watson did sign his contract that was never in dispute. But it was an, interesting, um, was an interesting tidbit in terms of why it was happening. And I do kind of wonder if it'll ever come to that. You know, we are getting kind of close to the time when that would become a problem. I can't imagine a rookie holding out. Um, but, you know, it feels like there was at least a, a point of contention. And, and I, I, I am curious, I guess it said there were 11 second round picks not signed. I wonder if there are any still not signed. I don't know. But um, it's interesting. It'll be interesting to see if that ever ends up happening. Maybe it's happened in the past. I just don't remember. But um, it'll also be interesting to see the details of Christian Watson's contract. Because as we heard from, I believe it was Bill Huber, the point of contention generally with these contracts, not that he necessarily knows directly from uh, the source that this is the issue, but the issue that seems to be the case with second round picks is they want to start getting some first round love, which is more guaranteed money uh, later in their contracts. Um, third year, or, or yeah, third year guarantees, or whatever the case may be. There's a new precedent that's starting, and so rookies coming in with their agents are saying, hey, this is the new precedent, we'd like that, and teams that are not doing that yet are like, sorry, that's not our precedent, that's not how we do things here. So anyways, that's that's the sticking point, I guess. So it'll be interesting to see um, Christian's Watson, Christian Watson's contract. Not that it super matters, but it is interesting. always think about rookies as, you know, maybe someday if they work hard, they'll get that big contract. It's like, dude, he just got almost 10 million bucks as a second round pick. That's crazy. Um, Other interesting news, apparently Jimmy Garoppolo is allowed to seek a trade from the 49ers, but there isn't really a ton of interest. The big problem being his contract. Um, The team that takes him on is going to have to take him on at a price that most teams aren't really interested in paying. Although it's not, I think it's like 24 million bucks, which if you are a team that thinks you're somewhat on the cusp and you're willing to rent a guy for a year, um, I think about teams like, you know, the 49ers and stuff. (laughs) I'm kidding. I mean, they got to cut bait and go with Trey at at some point. Um, The Browns, I thought made a lot of sense. I don't know what their financial situation is after dumping all this money into Deshaun, but um, it seems like he's maybe not going to be playing super soon and you've got a pretty good team and I know you couldn't do it with Baker, but you need somebody with that level of competence like Jimmy or Baker or whatever to to possibly get you over the hump. So that was a thought, but apparently they're out. So I don't know. I can't think of too many other teams that are close enough that you'd be willing to spend the money. You know, I mean, maybe Pittsburgh thinks they got it because of their defense, but probably not. Uh, If I was Miami, I'd be tempted. Like I said, Tua maybe isn't as bad as we thought, but maybe we just don't want to mess with it, right? We got an offensive line. We got some serious weapons at wide receiver. We got a pretty solid defense. Let's maybe just pull the, I don't know, just a thought. Texans are tough because what's the point? I mean, you might as well because you don't have a quarterback, but at the same time, you may as well just roll the dice with this Davis Mills guy or whatever, even though I don't think there's any chance he's going to be a good quarterback. But why not find out? Because it doesn't matter who we bring in here. We're going to be a terrible football team. It's a lot of talk about Seattle, but that seems unlikely for obvious reasons. But I guess if you're the 49ers, are you really scared? I guess maybe you are because you don't know what you have in Trey. Why, why risk it? Just say no. In the NFC North, I mean the the only team that would make any amount of sense would be the Detroit Lions if they're completely giving up. But um, I mean on on Jared Goff. But I, I just don't think they're they're not at that point yet. You know, just keep just keep building the way you're building. That's one of those things where it's like, well, you 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 had it and then you lost it. You're not at all in territory. This guy is clearly not going to be the one that gets you over the hump. He's marginally better than Jared Goff. You don't have the defense. This was a stupid decision. And I don't think they're going to make a stupid decision, unfortunately. So, I don't know. Anyways, he's he's out there floating around. I don't think there's too much that we ne- necessarily need to be scared of. Um, the Saints actually would be... I don't think their financial situation is great. I think they're still struggling from years and years ago. But that's a team that's got the defense and, you know... Maybe a, a, a decent enough team to win football games, but I just I have no faith in their quarterback. But Jimmy is that sort of you know he's he's that that guy that just kind of floats around. He's he's sort of that. I I would have said Kirk Cousins, but I think he's established himself consistently over the past several years of being better than that. I would have said Matt Stafford, but the guy just won a Super Bowl, so I guess he deserves a little bit more credit than that. But kind of Matt Stafford, Baker Mayfield. I don't know. I can't think of who else would be in that that tier. But there's other guys, but better than Jameis Winston. Let's say that. So, anyways, we don't need to spend too much time on it. Um, bottom line is he's probably gone. They're they're going all in on Trey. I think on the Packernet After Dark tonight, or maybe it's maybe it's Patreon. So I will be able to answer it on the show. Either way, at some point I'll be answering a question about Trey, and so I don't want to elaborate too much right now. Uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers signed Kyle Rudolph so we can uh, stop speculating about him going back to Minnesota, not as though that was ever any kind of a concern or threat. Um, probably in response to Gronkowski not coming back, this is this is going to be their Gronk, I guess. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Who cares? However, the Packers did work out some people. Um, John Brown, the wide receiver. John Brown was a guy that was floating around for, for several years, um, originally with the Arizona Cardinals, third round pick. Um, I don't remember the full context of it. I just remember that there were a good amount of Packer fans that really liked John Brown, whether that have been in the draft or otherwise. Um, Also, he came up several times in terms of trade talks or free agency talks. Um, He was okay for for his time, but it's one of those things where he's 32 years old, he hasn't played any extended period of time, hasn't really been a, a solid enough wide receiver for a while. I mean, he... 2019 John Brown was decent with Buffalo. 122 targets, 76 receptions, 1110 yards, 6 touchdowns, 74 overall grade, 74 overall receiving grade. All right, that's that's fine. But 2020, um 43 receptions, 544 yards, 3 touchdowns, and then last year he spent um a good amount of time not playing for a team. Then he played weeks 6 and 7 for Denver. He played weeks 11 and 12 for Jacksonville. And then he played in the playoffs for, I believe, Tampa Bay in that time with three different teams through the entire season, two targets, zero reception. So he has been doing a major circuit, and nobody has kept him around for any period of time whatsoever. But five eleven, one seventy eight, 178 has 434 four speed. So the guy is is blazing fast. Now, one of the hilarious things I saw, and and, and I like these guys, so I, I won't say who they are or bust them out or whatever, but a a Bears podcast, a Bears group, had uh, retweeted that the Packers are working out John Brown and and had put some kind of a heading, caption, whatever, essentially saying, oh, but I thought the Packers wide receivers were just fine. First of all, literally nobody has said that, including Packer fans. However, the notion that when you work somebody out, it means that that entire position group is doomed and, and we are desperate for help is not accurate. And I... I I'm not looking to fight with Bears fans on this issue. I'm more or less looking to find Packer fans who had a similar thought. Um, We should know better than this. We understand that the Packers do this constantly. The Packers brought in this guy. They brought in this guy. And a a lot of times it's positions that don't make any sense because it doesn't feel like a need. Doesn't matter. The point is we're bringing people in to see if they're good football players because we're getting to the point now where our core team is already set. It's a matter of is there anybody out there that could maybe better compete for the, for the back of the roster jobs we have here. So let's just see. Maybe, you know, maybe they got a little something. Maybe they got a little juice, and it would be worth bringing them in to see if maybe they can compete. It's not a matter of, dude, our wide receivers are so bad, we need a new number one, let's see what John Brown can do. We want to see if this guy can even compete with the guys that we have already on the team. If, if, if it was a question of whether or not he could compete with Christian Watson and Alan Lazard, he would have been signed a long time ago. Because it's not going to hurt to just bring him on. But here's the other point. The Packers also worked out tight end Sal uh, Kanea, offensive tackle Aaron Servais, and cornerback Bryce Watts. Let me ask you a question. Specifically looking at Bryce Watts, the cornerback, how desperate are the Packers for help at, at corner? Well, they need backup help. Uh, no, no, no. That's not the point, though. I'm not talking about backups. The, the, the point that was made is we're bringing in John Brown because our starters suck. Did we bring in Bryce Watts because our starters suck? Starting corners? Or is it possible we're just trying some guys out to see if they have a little something to see if we, if we bring them in, maybe they can compete. Maybe they can add something to our cornerback, offensive tackle, tight end, and wide receiver room. And the fact of the matter is, most of these guys, if not all of them, will have come in for a workout, will leave, and we'll never hear about it again. Meaning the Packers will look at it and say, no, I'd rather have the guys we have than add them to our room. And if we sign them, great. But it's certainly not because we need to do better than the guys that we have. I just don't believe Watson and Dobbs and Toure, and I I just don't like Lazard, even though we've gone to bat for the guy a thousand times over the years and have refused to sign wide receivers because we really like guys like uh, Alan Lazard so much. That's not the point. They do this all the time. We know that they do this all the time. We don't need to panic about stupid things. It's very simple. You bring people in based on what you think that they can do, regardless of position. Because it's all about just churning the bottom of the roster and finding that that gem that's out there. There's gems out there. Many of those gems have been found and are on our team currently. am not going to go through the list again, but that's the process. You bring them in, you try them out, and most of the time it's just that wasn't great. And sometimes it's like, ooh, what is that? And you, you bring them on, and you let them play, and you let them compete, and then they keep getting better. And next thing you know, they're just a regular old contributor on the team. I want to continue looking at this, though, because, again, it's just... It's not wrong information, it's, it's wrong thought process, right? There's, there's that conclusion of that means that your starters are bad, which is wrong. But continuing on with this uh, little snippet here on NBC Sports, it says, With Julio Jones and Will Fuller still out there, trying out Brown is as underwhelming as it gets. What does that mean? What are you talking about? What does is, what is Julio and Will Fuller have to do with this? Again, we're assuming that we're trying to find a top-tier wide receiver. I mean, we, we treat Brian Gutekunst as though he's just the biggest idiot in the world. Like he's struggling so hard to find a wide. We're so desperate, first of all, for a wide receiver. That's that's the first assumption. We're desperate. We're, we, our wide receivers are garbage. Everybody knows it. Gutekunst knows it. And it's a matter of him trying to fix it. And he's a blind man stumbling around trying to find what we can all clearly see. Right, it's it's like we're watching a guy playing pin the tail on the donkey, and we can see the donkey, and we can see where he is, and we can see he's walking in the wrong direction, and we're trying to yell to him like you, you stupid idiot, turn to your right, it's right there, literally, stick your arm out, you'll feel it, just pin it right. Oh, you you're going the wrong way. You're oh you you poor stupid man. I don't know why we'd be so mean to a guy that's blindfolded, but essentially that's what we're doing. We treat him like he's just an idiot, like dude. Oh my goodness. He he found John Brown. Now that's that's great, man. G- great try, but go a little to the left is Julio Jones and and if you go a little further further, like go left and keep walking, there's a guy Will Fuller. Those are better football players. They're better wide receivers and they might be number 1 wide receiver cuz you don't have one and you need one. And and Julio Jones is one and you should go get him. Rather than being so ridiculously condescending to the point of of Again, the, this only works. This entire sentence only works if Brian Gutekunst is a blind, bumbling, idiot, moron, loser. I mean, incompetent doesn't even comprehend what he would have to be in order for the sentence to make sense. They know Julio Jones exists. They fully are aware of his capabilities. They also understand his asking price. They've known about Julio Jones. By the way, 30, 32 teams know Julio Jones is out there, and none of them have signed him. Why? I understand you're obsessed with Julio Jones and Will Fuller. I get it, right? The, these guys are elite, and, and somebody should sign them because then you get these elite number one wide receivers. And all 32 teams are a bunch of bumbling idiots, and I'm a genius, and I understand these things. And boy, oh boy, as soon as somebody finds these guys, we're going to crank out 42 articles about how they have, they, they, they have turned their season around with this one single move, and this is the biggest thing that could ever be done. Instead of just acknowledging there's a problem. And it probably has to do with the difference between the actual talent that exists, which is much less than anybody wants to admit, the age, the injury risk, and the cost that it would br- that, that there would be to bring them on. It's underwhelming. For the sake of making sure I'm understanding it properly, I want to def- define underwhelming. Fail to impress. Again, it's the idea of we're all standing around waiting. This isn't good enough. Go do something. And this is what you do. I'm not impressed. Or make a positive impact. Again, assuming that this is just an automatic positive impact, go get Julio. Done deal. Semicolon. Disappoint. Again, there's just this feeling of of, of you know what I, I I'm I'm disappointed. I I I quit. I don't know what to do. I'm so tired of this. We wait and we wait and we wait for you to for for you to pick up the phone and bring in Julio Jones, and we finally find out you're working on a wide receiver and it's John Brown. I am so sick of this. Sick of what? Why? Why? You need to let it go. That's the point. You need to stop it. Right? It's 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 over. And again, well well it well if they're so confident what they got, why they bring a job, bruh. Because they're not looking for a number one wide receiver. They've got at least three guys, if not four guys, fighting for that job right now. Al Nazard, Sammy Watkins, Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs. They're fighting for the number one wide receiver spot. They don't need another guy coming in to compete. They don't need another sort of number two, trying to be a number one. And yes, I'm calling Julio Jones, broke down, overpaid, over the hill, Julio Jones, a number two, trying to be a number one. How many of these guys, just bring them both in. Why not? Maybe somebody will work out and then we'll just, I don't know, have all these guys trying to figure it out on the field at the same time. It'll be wonderful. And who cares about money? It's not like we need any money. I so, saw... um Ken Ingles basically saying once once all the the bills are paid and everything we're going to be sitting at about ten million dollars, which is what you want to bring into the season, um, generally, roughly, you know, just in case of in case of emergency, in case things go horribly wrong at a position like wide receiver, then you can go maybe negotiate with a guy like. Julio, although that's probably not going to be the case, more likely we lose a corner and have to go find a corner because we have wide receiver depth, even if you don't like the wide receiver depth. We have a lot of guys that can catch footballs. We don't really have a lot of guys that can stop or or pass rushers. You know, if, if Rashawn goes down, that's probably more what the war chest is for. But the bottom line is we need that money and we're not going to exhaust it all. in a guy like Julio, especially if he's sitting out saying, nope, I'm not taking these paltry one-year deals. I want big money long-term deals. I don't care how old I am. I don't know what the negotiating sticking point is, but the point is the Packers and Julio Jones have not seen eye to eye and probably never will. The thing that annoys me with this whole narrative is there's so many assumptions that are just wrong and we won't let it go. Just won't let it go. You're clearly wrong based on your, your, your phrasing of this sentence. You're clearly misunderstanding and you're refusing to understand. Because if you were right about your understanding, then they would just sign him. The Packers don't like the wide receivers they have. They need a number one wide receiver. Julio Jones is that number one wide receiver, and signing him would make everything perfect. Then why don't they do it? Well, because of stupid. Anytime you're confident that you know something, and um, it doesn't seem to be true, but it's not because you're wrong. It's because somebody who is one of the best in their field is much more incompetent than you and everybody else in the world, every common layperson who knows basically nothing about football can put this piece together. But the one guy at the top of his field can't put it together? I'm guessing, and it's just a guess, that maybe the commoners are incorrect and the guy that's a super genius that has done this his entire life and has studied under guys like Ted Thompson and and, and in a tradition with guys like Ron Wolf. Who was hired over guys like Elliot Wolf? I'm I'm thinking maybe that guy fully understands who Julio Jones is. Who has an army of people who are pro pro pro, pro personnel people, whose only job is to go out and look around the NFL and see the talent levels and all these things and see if they can maybe fit in here. And 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 but yet maybe they just overlooked Julio. They didn't. They didn't. Or let me put it this way: If they overlooked Julio. It's by choice. It's not because they forgot. They're looking around like, oh, there's one John Brown. Remember that guy? As if you walk in the door and you're like, hey, did you know about Julio? Like, who? Jones? He's not on a team? I thought he was a Falcon. What is going on here? Isn't he that 25-year-old freak that plays with uh, that Roddy White over there and Matt Ryan in Atlanta? That super good offensive team? No, that was, that was like 10 years ago. No, no, no. No, but, but Julio does still exist and he's a free agent. Yeah, that wouldn't happen. Okay? Just saying. <sighs> Sorry, it just annoys me. And it, it's... The funny thing is, if they didn't work out John Brown, nobody would care. Like, everybody moves on and then they work out John Brown just because, like, you know, let's see what he's got. We liked him in Arizona. We liked him as a draft prospect. If he's got a little bit of this... and that, Plus, it's a matter of what kind of wide receiver they want. Maybe they're looking at it and saying he would fit this particular role. If nothing... You know, if, if these guys work in this capacity, maybe these wide receivers, you know, let's say Alan Lazard is great and Sammy Watkins is great, and Christian Watson isn't super great, where's our speed? Maybe we need a speed guy, and John Brown's got a little bit of that. Let's just see if he's got some of that speed, see if he can kind of figure things out. We've got to run through the pace and see how it goes. He's a fail-safe. He's a hedge. If he's any good at football, I don't know. He had a lot of problems last year, whatever that was, injuries or teams just hated him. It's like two weeks and then get this guy out of here. But let's try him out and let's find out. But for some reason, bringing him in just stoked the flames of, julio all over again and i just it's such a ridiculous thing i I don't understand it but whatever it is you understand about it stop understanding that because you're hurting my brain anyways uh, um why don't we go to patreon i've I've got a bunch of stuff i want to talk about i've been kind of grinding away at some fun little things but uh, we got patreon and um we might as well start there JJ says, thoughts on Kylan Hill. Dude looked good a couple times on returns. Do you think he'll make the 53? I, I love the fact that JJ and, and Bruce, and I don't know who else is involved in this, are are in some kind of a competition. I don't know much about it, but apparently it has something to do with with uh making a 53 and seeing who's his most accurate. And JJ apparently won this competition last year, so they did it last year too. I don't don't recall. But all of their questions and things, even even Bruce's questions, have to do with like maybe trying to get a little bit of an edge. Not that I'm necessarily the expert, but just in terms of Maybe I can see something or, you know, this is a sticking point of my 53. I don't know what to do. It's all about their 53s and trying to make sure that they're seeing every single angle so that they get it right. Um, I did kind of look into this a little bit. I spent more time working on safety and maybe we'll talk about it today if there's time. If not, maybe tomorrow. I don't know. But um, just kind of poking around at, okay, let's look at beyond the guys that we know, that number three uh, safety spot the number three running back spot, all that stuff. What is it we're looking at? And um, for safety, I've got it kind of nailed down. For running back, it was more just sort of a cursory reminder. So we can kind of go over that. And actually, one of the things I noticed yesterday was when I was looking into um, other running backs in the NFC North. We'll get to that on Packernet After Dark. Actually, it'll be yesterday because I'm a day behind. So last night's Packernet After Dark, if everything went okay and there is an episode, um, I talked a lot about DeAndre Swift, so I guess I can talk to you about it. Now I have to do it because I'm talking about it. But anyways, as I was looking into DeAndre Swift and the fact that that guy is unbelievably overrated, and I've never really gone hard at Lions players before, but I'm, I might have to. And it sucks because I like DeAndre Swift, which I maybe answered, talked about that yesterday. I don't know because I haven't done it yet. It's such a weird brain twisty thing that I'm going through right now, but it's, it's interesting. Um, it's like that, uh, you ever see that movie about calculus? It's not about calculus. It's it's one of those back in the '90s. Every other movie was about like um, a teacher going into a troubled neighborhood and being like a teacher there and stuff. Like The Substitute, which is a great, super cheesy, but you know because it's a '90s movie. But I I I love that movie. Anyways, this one's about calculus. But it, the way he explained calculus was something about like you have to look at it like upside down and inside out and all that stuff. And it's like that's what I feel like I have to do. I have to look at it that way. I don't understand what how calculus. I took calculus. I somehow passed it, um, but I, I I have no idea what what calculus is or how it works. But anyways, what are we talking about? Oh, running backs. One of the things that I thought was immediately interesting um, that I think is relevant here, I, as I've mentioned, I, I like all our running backs, and I, I very rarely dislike running backs that come into Green Bay or whatever. They 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 usually look good. They do a good job, and that's really no different when it comes to Kylan Hill and Patrick Taylor. Um, in fact, I, I think I somewhat misremember which one's which, because I, <laughs> I, I I, just know I like that backup running back. I think I usually attribute it to Patrick Taylor, but I'm not positive. But here was the interesting that the interesting thing that stood out. I know Kylan Hill is largely seen as the number three. If you go over to our lads, it's, it's Kylan Hill, and everybody's kind of talking about Kylan Hill. Maybe it's because we drafted him. I'm not entirely sure. But um, one of the things that I thought was funny is when you look at the running back's Um, in the NFC North. A couple things stand out here, and I know PFF grades aren't everything, but it's pretty staggering how this works. One of the things that I thought was funny is when you look at, for example, I was looking at DeAndre Swift. DeAndre Swift, out of 17 NFC North running backs that took even a single snap, DeAndre Swift is 16th out of 17. But the other funny thing is there are three Packers running backs in the top four, and all three of them are ahead of any of the other starters the only other guy that's mixed in is Khalil Herbert, the Chicago Bears running back. This is based on rushing grade not overall grade, but um so you got those four guys, the starters, you have 8th is Dalvin Cook and um 10th is David Montgomery and then I, as i said 16th is DeAndre Swift. None of the NFC and and they get so much love. And that's that's the whole point of of the calls, i guess last night, i don't know. was about Why does DeAndre Swift get so much love and it's not deserved? And I think the only reason I don't go after DeAndre is because he doesn't get nearly as much love as David Montgomery, who's overrated, and Dalvin Cook, who's overrated. In the NFC North, just based on not just the starters, but all the backups, Dalvin Cook ranks eighth, and he's the best NFC North running back that isn't a Packer. Now, the interesting thing in regard to who the Packers are... Number one running back in the entire NFC North based on rushing grade is A.J. Dillon with an 89.7. Then you have Khalil Herbert, 84.4. Then you have Aaron Jones, 83.1. So of the starters, it's A.J. Dillon, then Aaron Jones, then big gap Dalvin Cook, then David Montgomery, and then big gap DeAndre Swift. However, the fourth best running back in the entire NFC North based on rushing grade is Patrick Taylor, ranked higher than, than Dalvin Cook, Jamal Williams, David Montgomery, uh, DeAndre Swift, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Wayne Gallman, I guess. I don't know. Everybody except Khalil Herbert. In other words, just based on the grade, and and there are other factors. Obviously, the rushing grade maybe isn't everything, but just based on that, you take Patrick Taylor, you put him on any other team, and he's a starter. He's just not here because we have two top-tier running backs ahead of him. But 79.3 overall grade, 23 carries, 89 yards, 3.9 yards per attempt, and a touchdown. Now, maybe that one touchdown is kind of elevating the grade a little bit because it's, you know, on on a per-carry basis, that's kind of a lot. Aaron Jones had four touchdowns on 183 attempts. A.J. Dillon, six on 194. But here's the other thing. Not only is Patrick Taylor graded really, really highly amongst the NFC North, amongst the NFL, but the lowest grade of any NFC North uh, running back out of 17 is Kylan Hill with a 55.5, uh, 55.7 overall grade, 13, uh, 13 snaps, 10 attempts, 24 yards, 2.4 yards per attempt is the lowest per carry of any running back in the NFC North, which is not surprising. But the second lowest is 3.7, Alexander Madison in Minnesota, 2.4 compared to 3.7. So that's insane. And you can't say, well, it's the offensive line's fault because Aaron Jones is fourth with 4.6. Now, it is a small enough sample size that, you know, anybody with 10 attempts can have a bad day. It's, it's the, the mix of having some really big carries in there that are going to elevate that, uh, you know, Aaron Jones has had 10 carries for 2.4 yards at some point in his career, I'm sure, but it averages out higher thanks to a couple 15, 20-yard runs mixed in. So maybe it's unfair, but the, the staggering difference between the two can't really go unnoticed. If you look at, for example, yards after contact, um, Aaron Jones ranks fifth, 3.15. A.J. Dillon is sixth at 3.14, almost exactly the same. Patrick Taylor is seventh at 3.04. Kylan Hill is dead last, 1.9. Now that kind of makes sense because if you don't have a lot of yards per attempt, it's hard to have a lot of yards after contact per attempt. But still, lowest by a mile yards per attempt, lowest by a lot Yards after contact per attempt. Lowest overall rushing grade. Zero missed tackles forced, which, you know, not a lot of attempts, but still zero. Longest carry was eight uh, yards. Uh, Carries over 10 yards, zero. Had one first down in 10 attempts. And he has an elusiveness grade of zero. On top of all that, if you go over to receiving grades based on running backs, Aaron Jones is number one. A.J. Dillon is sixth. Patrick Taylor is 11th but Kylan Hill is 15th. He's the third lowest receiving grade of any running back in the entire NFC North. Hilariously, Dalvin Cook is 17th. He's dead last, which is just the best thing ever. Brings me joy. But then on top of all of that is the very simple thing. You know, we keep talking, well, it's not fair because he had only 13 attempts. That's true, but it also isn't necessarily a good thing, is it? Patrick Taylor had 28, more than double the amount of attempts. So why is it, the guy who had more attempts, was better when he was on the field, higher grades, better stats, all that stuff, is assumed to be behind Kylan Hill, who was given less opp- despite the fact he was drafted, given less opportunities and did less with those opportunities when he had them. Here's the thing. I, I understand he had a, a season-ending injury, but, but let's, let's look at it from this standpoint. Through the first half of the season, he played in four games, weeks one, two, five, and seven. In the last half of the season... Patrick Taylor played in one, two three four, five, six games. His lowest grade in those games was a sixty. Kylan Hill's highest was a sixty five his lowest was a fifty so you know I again you, you well he only played in half of a season because of an injury, so that's not really fair. Well, he had a half of a season and they only played him in four games and his his most of his he was trending downward even before he got hurt. Week one, five snaps he played and all five times he got the ball. Week two against Detroit, five snaps he was in on the field, twice they gave him the ball. He didn't get the ball once in week three, week four, and then in week five, he was apparently on the field, but had zero snaps, I don't know why, what he did in the game, maybe it was special teams only, I don't know, but he didn't get a single attempt, and then it wasn't until week seven that he got three more attempts, and with those three attempts he got two yards, and then he hurt his knee which you know you can say it's not his fault and that's fine but it also doesn't necessarily work in your favor the fact that you're coming off a knee injury. And the last time we saw you we gave you 3 rushing attempts and you got 2 yards out of it. And that was the only that was the, that was the last time we decided to give you the ball since week 2. And again so so then after he goes out in, in week 8 we decide let's turn to Patrick Taylor as that sort of change of pace guy. We give him 2 attempts in week 10 he gets 7 yards. Then week 11 we give him 4 attempts he gets 11 yards which isn't super great so then Chicago, we don't do much in week 14. Then week 17, he gets six attempts, 18 yards, three yards per attempt. Then against Detroit, 12 snaps, 11 attempts, 53 yards, 4.8 yards per attempt, and a touchdown. That was the last we really remember of him, was Detroit kind of carving the team up. On top of all that, tell me which one the Packers are going to like more. The guy that's 5'11", 210, or the guy that's 6'3", 223. Which one? It's the 6'3", 223-pound guy, right? That's what the Packers like. They're both roughly the same age. Um, Kylan Hill was a seventh-round pick. It's not as though he was like a fourth-round, third-round, second-round, first-round pick. Seventh-round, it's basically priority undrafted free agent. He came in, he did nothing, and then he blew out his knee. He came in, he did nothing, we kind of gave up on him, and then he blew out his knee. Patrick Taylor came in, he did a pretty solid job, carved up Detroit. And that was the last image we saw of him. And again, six three two twenty three. Now that's just sort of the 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 baseline that I want to hit everybody with because again, the assumption is Kylin Hill is the guy for sure. But specifically, your question was about returns, and so the the reason I went through all that is because I think the orientation should be Patrick Taylor's kind of the guy in my mind. Patrick Taylor's kind of the guy. Maybe I'm way off on that. Maybe they really like Kylan and what he can do. And, and the, the reason they got him in the seventh round is because they really like his upside and all that. Maybe, maybe, maybe. But Patrick Taylor's the guy that put it on the field. So for me, Kylan Hill is the guy that kind of has to prove it on special teams. And special teams is a priority. And if he can really prove that he's the guy on special teams, then, you know, the, the number three running back job and, and the, the gap in talent between Patrick Taylor and Kylan Hill is probably not that massive. So it would make sense to keep the better special teamer. Here's the biggest issue, though. Kylan Hill, 10 kickoff returns, 200 yards, averaged 19.9 yards per attempt. His longest was 41. So I I think the the notion that he's a really good returner is very similar to the reason we think Amari's a really bad returner, which is the same reason why, you know, we think Razul Douglas is an elite cornerback. It's because the big stuff stands out. If you get a ton of picks, you are an elite corner. Doesn't matter the fact that you played like 700 snaps, and five of them were interceptions. You're an elite corner. I'm not trying to pick on the guy. I'm just saying it stands out. But Amari Rogers was at 18.9. Kylan is at 19.9. They were pretty, pretty much exactly the same. The difference is Amari, and this wasn't even on a kick return, it was on a punt return. He had a muffed punt return, and so everybody hates him. Kylan Hill had a big 40-yard kickoff return, so everybody loves him. But when you average it out, they're almost exactly the same. Neither of them really graded out very well, 53.4 overall grade. Um, his, even on that one 41-yard return, he had a 63 overall grade in that game because he had two returns for 60 yards. So the other one was 19, which is about his average. So I I, I think this is the the money spot for him. To to lock in that number three spot, you got to prove that you're a, a really good returner. The the issue, though, is we, we've already established there's other guys that are going to be in competition for that. I don't know if they're going to want to use Christian Watson in this capacity, but I think he's going to be a really good kick returner if they decide to do that. Um, Romeo Dobbs is more of a punt returner, but maybe if he's sort of a lesser utilized um, wide receiver, maybe they'll give him a crack at punt and kick return, and maybe he'll thrive in that role. And then we don't need to really focus on Kylan Hill being a kick returner because we've got a kick returner. And so we can just focus on the number three running back being the number three running back. And gee golly, oh my, wouldn't it be nice if we can get a guy that's just a reliable three down back, you know, the six foot three, 230 pound guy or whatever he is, as opposed to the 5'11", 210 pound guy that was injured last year, who we got doing kick return. So we got injury concerns with that. On top of that, how much are we actually getting out of Kylan as a, as a number three running back? So, you know, I'm not saying I'm locking Patrick Taylor in. I'm just saying for most people who have got Kylan Hill locked in, that's some food for thought. And it's probably true that the Packers like Kylan more than they like Patrick Taylor. They drafted Kylan. They didn't draft Patrick Taylor. They started Kylan in in terms of starting the season. They didn't start the season with Patrick Taylor. Patrick Taylor only came in after Kylan got hurt. But still... Kylan was not that super promising as a kick return. He, he had a couple good returns, which maybe in in, you know, in terms of special teams, that's really all it's about. Do you have that ability to once in a while do something cool, as opposed to averaging out, you know, on average, you you can get to the 25 if needed. I don't know. But it's certainly food for thought. And, and, and I, I do think if Kylan cannot establish himself as a special teamer, I think he's in trouble. I think Patrick Taylor has the build. I think he showed the ability. You know, there, There's still the whole big mental component to it and, and, and whatever else they liked in Kylan that, that is going to ultimately play a major factor. But, but that's kind of, I think, where Patrick Taylor has an advantage. Whatever reason they like Kylan, it wasn't working when he was on the field. And it wasn't much, but they, they had the opportunity to put him out there. They chose not to. They didn't give him the opportunities, and when he had him, he didn't. It, it wasn't working. So the the comprehension isn't there, and the fact that the last time Patrick Taylor was actually given, or the only real time he was given, a ton of opportunities, but the last time he was given um, any amount of opportunities was his best showing. So that's the last thing we remember. The last thing we remember about Kylan was like two yards per attempt prior to you know putting him out in Arizona, and he busted up his knee. And you feel bad for the guy. I mean, it was a it was a terrible thing that happened to him, but it is what it is. And that doesn't even include Tyler Goodson and BJ Baylor as potential. First of all, you know, could they possibly take the kick return or punt return roles away from Kylan Hill if he even has a strong hold on that, which I don't know. You still got Amari, which I know everybody hates him, but I don't know that we can just assume that Kylan takes that job away from him. Maybe he does. I don't know. But as running backs, you got two more guys that are coming in to compete. So, again, food for thought. I, I I'm not. Maybe I will at some point really try to hammer out this 53. I, I haven't been super into it this year like I have in the past because it just kind of, I'd rather do what I'm doing right now and and, and theorize about these things and kind of just look at the pros and cons and the, the positives and rather than trying to officially say, this is my projection. I don't know. I don't know. But that's where I'm at with the running backs right now. I think Kylan is the chosen child. He's the one that the Packers want to be the guy. And you can feel that when teams do that sometimes. You know they want him to be the guy. But I also think the Packers now are better. You know, if this was Mike McCarthy, I'd say take Hyland. Because if they like a guy, that's it. It doesn't matter, right? We talked about guys that they draft. Those guys play. Even when those guys suck and the draft picks don't hit, and then you bring in some guy off the bench, he's an undrafted free agent or whatever, he's obviously great. He comes in, he gets a pick, and then he sits on the bench, you never see him again, and that guy who sucks goes back out there and continues to fail. Because this guy was drafted, and we like him, and that guy's some scrub, and we don't care. That happened a lot more back then than it seems to now. It seems like now is is a little bit more, if you can show that you're the guy, then you can be the guy. But still, there's always that, we drafted Kylan because we like Kylan, he's the guy, we're going to try to make it work. So I get putting him there, but he's just on really tenuous ground. Anyways, um, hope that helps. Probably just further complicated things, and I apologize, but... um, that's just where I'm at with it. Why don't we take a break here? Got a few more Patreon questions to get to. Don't forget to check out mercyandme.ca if you need to get some baby gear. Um, you got Baby sh- baby showers are just going on all the time, it seems like. There's always somebody having a baby. Either somebody's pregnant and ha- about to have a baby, or somebody's had a shower coming up or something. So just, I-, I tell you what, it's mostly guys listening. You don't know what I'm talking about. Go talk to your wife. When she, when she comes to you is like, hey, so-and-so's pregnant, mercyandme.ca. Hey, you should check this out. This guy's uh, wife has a really cool store with some really cool baby stuff. You should check it out. And you know what they're going to do? They're going to go there and be like, oh, that's adorable. And then they'll buy it because it's it's not just like, a because you never know what to buy. Especially when they don't want to find out if it's a boy or a girl, which I will never for the life of me understand that. But then it's like, I really don't know what to buy because I can't get anything pink and I can't get anything blue. And it, so it's got to be this weird, like puke green color or like a yellow or something orangish. But that's kind of what, I don't know. So, and I, I can't really get clothes because you know I can't get a dress and I don't want to get any so I don't I don't I don't know what to do. Go over there, they got some stuff that's just aw, you know? Just that stuff. I don't know what it is, but it's aww stuff. Your wife will understand, she'll know what to do, she'll buy it, she'll she'll take care of it. All you gotta do is pass the word on. Anytime you hear, hey, so and so's pregnant, like, oh yeah, mercyandme.ca, check it out. Also, patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. If you want to to support the podcast, you can check out the podcast by continuing to listen. You can support the podcast on Patreon. Anyways, we'll take a break. We'll be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now... So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Roger says, "Uh, not a question as much as a thought regarding today's show. Uh, This is from whenever he listened. Certainly this isn't on the ownership's radar as the season, as the reason to keep preseason games but I do think these games are an opportunity for many fans to attend games at a discounted price compared to the regular season games. Many folks can't access or afford regular season tickets and also can't afford to take their kids along. For a long time, the preseason games were my only option to see inside of Lambeau. I just, I think that's a, a great point. And again, you you just don't want to get caught up in the whole, you know, this is just a way for the greedy people to be greedy. Like, Okay, dude, you know. I think there are positives to the preseason. And and this is just another another one of those things. It is a, a a good, you know, it might not be the most exciting thing in the world to you, but it's an opportunity for people who, uh, you know, maybe aren't in great financial situations to be able to do something special with their kids. You know, they would love nothing more than to take their kid to a Packer game and they just can't afford it, but you can afford a preseason game. So you, you buy the tickets, you take them there, you get the stadium experience, you get the football experience, you get the cheers and all that stuff. and And, and you get to... Do that for your for your son or for for your daughter or whoever it is that's interested in it. And it's just a fun experience. So there you go. If you if you hated preseason, that's one more reason to leave it alone. Edward says, with so many of our coaches, current and former, defecting to the Vikings, what are the chances Lafleur and Barry come at them with entirely new schemes they learned in training camp? I'm gonna lop off the last uh five or so words because I don't that kind of throws me, but Let's say, uh, what are the chances LaFleur and Barry come at them with entirely new schemes? I would say not very. I think to the degree in which things change, they change up their scheme, they change up their approach and their attack, I think it would be a natural progression. Um, it'll be based on you know, the, the, the changing of the roster. It'll be based on information they learned last year that'll cause them to make changes this year. It'll be based on... Um, studying the league and finding out where the league is going, and maybe trying to tweak things or try things or whatever. I think that's going to cause changes. I, I don't think, I don't even think there's 1% of, you know, we we want to trick the Vikings. Maybe when you play the Vikings, there's an element of understanding, for example, Zadarius Smith and his weaknesses and trying to exploit that. Um, maybe there's a, a possible chess mass, match of, you know, we know Mike Smith likes to do these kinds of things, and this is usually the counter, so we can kind of do this with our offensive line, possibly. But that's no different than what you would do with anybody else. It's it's understanding your opponent and, and doing it likewise. I don't think it's a matter of we need to change everything we're doing because we're scared that because they can understand what we're doing, they're going to be able to beat us. Because now you're, you're weakening yourself. The point is we do this because we think this is the best, and I'm not going to change what is best because I'm scared that, you know, they know what we're going to do, and they're going to come at it. Because the, the other aspect of this is that everybody kind of knows what you're doing. If, if you went to Andy Reid and said, explain the Packers playbook to me, they could do it. It might be in a somewhat generic uh, sense, but, but you know, generic to, generic to them would be unbelievably in-depth to you and me. I mean, it's, it's an encyclopedia of understanding that general scheme, but also how Matt LaFleur implements it, understanding what Joe Barry does. I mean, anybody can pull that up, and then on top of that, they have they have armies of people that can um, further dissect tendencies and all these kinds of things to really give you that's the whole point of what some of these guys do is is breaking down tendencies so that you understand exactly what your opponent is going to do and win. And then from there we say, what are we going to do to attack that? so that that's that's every opponent for every team and and you know, maybe they have a little bit more insight, but you know again, whatever that insight might be there's a good chance that it's already evolved because hopefully the, the team and, and everything is, is slowly evolving. So any minor detail that might not be known might not even exist anymore. So yeah, I, I don't really see that as a big thing, needing to change what we do because we don't want them to see behind the curtain. I mean, the, the only time that stuff like that happens is when we hear about, you know, we got these special plays or trick plays or whatever, and we, we don't want to unveil it. So we don't, we kind of keep, preseason, very vanilla. But the whole point of that is we've got new stuff that nobody's seen yet, right? The stuff that everybody's already seen, you don't worry about it because everybody's already seen it. So unless there's this big, crazy trick play that we've been hiding for two years, um, I don't think we super need to worry about it. Finally, uh, final question on Patreon, Jason says, so I've been thinking about the narrative of how we are doomed since Devante left. And whatever are we going to do without him? And it got me thinking, could it possibly play in our favor at least the first few weeks of the year? The way uh, my mind is thinking is that the defenses are used to preparing for the matchup and game plan for years, and plenty of film to study when Devontae is on the offense. The start of this year should be completely fresh, as we don't know anyone's role just yet, and I think that fact could really help. Yes. I'm just going to stop at the, Yes, 100%. And it, it plays perfectly into what I was talking about with Edward. That is a massive unknown. And that is kind of the, you know, what, what is it that Mike Smith knows that we can change? Mike Smith might know the weaknesses of our offensive line. First of all, how much does he know compared to what everybody else already knows? Probably not much, but whatever it is, what are we going to actually change? What does Zadarius Smith know? Zadarius Smith in training camp was crushing David Bakhtiari. I've never heard of David Bakhtiari getting just straight up whooped before, except maybe in a couple of playoff games, but that's we don't need to talk about that. But in training camp against the Darius and, and Rashawn, actually, getting crushed. But what, what is it we can change? There's not much. But like I said, once in a while, there's something new. And people don't know what exactly that's going to be. And that is the Packers right now. Nobody really knows what the Packers offense is absent Devontae. You've even got Aaron Rodgers making the case or, or making the statement that 80% of offensive plays were designed to go to Devontae Adams. So... There is 80% of the offense that is going to be different and new, and nobody knows outside of Green Bay what that even looks like. The best they can do is go back to the times when Devontae wasn't there and, and kind of like what we've been doing to, to, to speculate, but even that was more or less on the fly. We haven't had an ent- entire offseason to design an entirely new offense, not, not a, a patchwork like what are we going to do in the meantime, like what is the identity of our offense absent Devontae Adams? I think that does give us a massive advantage. But here's the thing. I don't know necessarily that it's a short-term advantage. Because I don't know necessarily that there is going to be one way in which we do things that um once, you know, once the the vi- we hit the Vikings with it, like this is our thing. It's like, oh no, we weren't prepared. We're doomed. And then they sink like a slow burning, dying, sinking ship. And then week two, it's like, oh, we know what you're doing. We're coming at you, blah, 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 blah. As I've said in the past, a lot of times when the Packers are successful, there's one guy that 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 really rises to the occasion, whether Devontae's there or not. There's somebody that that rises up. There's somebody that takes that mantle. But if that's just sort of the identity of the Packers, and that, you know, if you go back to when the Packers were, you know, 2011, when they were just absolutely dominant, they you never knew who was going to be that guy. And yeah, you could say, well, back then they had five really good wide receivers. Now we have five, you know, not nearly as good wide receivers. But maybe the point is more... You don't know what direction it's going to go. That's why I said back in the day, you would never in fantasy football pick a Packers wide receiver. It would be a waste of your time because one week Jordy Nelson would go off and if he's on your team, great. But the next week, Jordy doesn't get hardly anything because it's Randall and Jennings and, and, and James Jones and then Jordy is after that. You know, It's a matter of matchups and, and they may have a plan going in and something's just working. Something else is not working and we're just going to keep feeding the beast. And so on, on a game-to-game basis, even, even after the first few weeks, it's still a matter of are they going to feature Jones? Are they going to feature Dylan? Are they going to feature Lazard? Are they going to feature Watson? Are they going to feature Watkins? Are they, what are they going to do? Are they going to feature nobody? And it's just a, a hodgepodge. And if that is the offensive identity of we do a little bit of everything every week. And yeah, if we get the hot hand, we'll ride it. But you know, we just come in, we call plays. We attack weaknesses. We come in, we throw jabs, and we set up hooks. And then we knock you out. That's what we do. Sometimes our jab is our run game. Sometimes our jab is our tight end. Sometimes our jab is our slot, guys. You never know. You just know that there's a hook coming at some point, and you don't know where it's coming from. You don't know when it's coming, but you know it's going to hurt a lot. But anyways, I appreciate the questions. I'm going to leave it at that. It was a late break, and I could elaborate, but a lot of the stuff is more projecty stuff, and I don't want to ramble on for another 45 minutes. So um, I'll leave it at that. If you have more questions, you're on Patreon. Feel free to drop it in. I'll try to keep track and I'll, I'll address it tomorrow. If you'd like to ask a question in Patreon, feel free to do so. Patreon.com forward slash Pack underscore Danny. Otherwise, remember to call in uh, the uh, Packernet voicemail 608 501 718. Leave a message. Let me know what you're thinking. Otherwise, you guys have a fantastic day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye bye. <laughs>